0: May God bless you as you watch this week's message.
1: And I've searched the world But it couldn't feel me A man's empty praise the treasures that fade were never enough And you came along And you put me back together and every desire is now satisfied hearing in your love nothing better than you there's nothing better than you Lord there's nothing
0: I'm so glad that, um, that you're here this morning. The Lord gave me a word uh, for us today, and I, I really believe that, uh, that it'll speak to your hearts. If, for you guys that are watching uh, by live stream, I pray that it'll speak to your heart as well. We welcome you as well. Uh, I want to share, um, um, and I've, I've entitled, there you go, I've entitled the sermon, Armor That, Armor that Fits, Discovering Your God-Given Identity. And I want to talk about our God-given identity today because we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. It's a very famous story. We're going to look at how David trusted in God, and God used them with the natural, unique gifts that God had given him to face this nine-foot challenge in his life Goliath. I believe that we oftentimes feel the pressure in this world. We feel the pressure to conform to the expectations of people, to the identities that others want to impose on us. And I, I truly believe that through the story of David and Goliath and the choices that David made, we're going to gain a better understanding of who we are in God, how God has created each. And every one of us, individually different, unique, with our own strengths and our own talents, so that we can defeat the giants in our lives. Come on, somebody. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will inspire you to embrace who God has made you to be, your own God-given identity, to reject the ill, fitting armors and the mold that the world is trying to impose on us, to put us, to want us to fit us into and to step into the identity and the plan that God has for you and for me. Are you ready to read some scriptures today? All right, look at the person next to you and tell them, I am ready. All right. Well, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 17, And I'm going to break these verses, a number of verses, into different sections. So we're going to start with verses 17 to 22, okay? Verses 17 to 22. And it says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah, it's a measure, of roasted grain, And ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten uh, cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and with all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And so early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse has direct, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out into battle, into battle positions, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. The first lesson that I want us to see from these verses is that when you understand your identity, when you understand who God has made you to be, you will be obedient even to the smallest task, even to the most menial of tasks. Now, Jesse told David, Dad spoke to the son and said, "Hey, I want you to go and check on your brothers. I want to know how they're doing." It's a concerned father. They're in the battle. I want you to bring them some food. And oh, by the way, while you're there, also bring something to the leaders of their unit. Their their sergeant, their commanders, right? Bring them some food as well. It's just to make sure that we honor and respect their position. And get a report from your brothers. Now, David, the Bible says, early in the morning, he got up, he took what he had to bring for his brothers, and he went. Now, David did not at any point in the story, you never read it, look at it and say, well, this is just way below me. Wait a minute, dad, Jesse, dad, Don't you remember just a few weeks ago that Samuel came and he anointed me to be the next king of Israel? How dare you ask the future king of Israel, take a bunch of loaves and some cheese and bring them to my brothers? How about you ask son number six in line or number five or four or whoever else? I'm way more important than this. Never. David humbly obeyed without any hesitation, without any questioning, he did what his father told him to do. Now, I know that we all aspire to greatness. We all want to be great. We all want to grow and have success in life. We want to do great things. We want to have powerful jobs, positions, fortune, money, blessings. We aspire to great ministries. I think we all want to want to do everything that the Bible says to go out and cast out demons, pray for the sick, and they will be healed. You know, so on and so forth. Right? We want to go overseas. We want to go preach the gospel to the nations to people that have never heard. Jesus' name even mentioned. But the problem is that we haven't even learned to cross the street across to the next door neighbor and tell them about Jesus, but we want to go overseas? How about we learn to do the small things first? How about we learn to appreciate the small tasks that God puts before us? Oh no, brother! I got I, you know, I I got a great man. The Lord spoke to me. I'm, I'm I gotta go to Africa and preach the gospel to all those people. How about you volunteer in church? I oh, know, so quiet. Shh. How about you help out with the kids' ministry? How about you check in and check out some people? How about you you prepare coffee for everybody else on Sunday morning? How about that? If you got great gifts and talents and abilities, how about you come and you bless us with your great gifts, talents, and abilities? We all aspire to great things, but when the rubber hits the road, we just want it our way. David learned the secret of obedience because he understood that his identity was wrapped not in this great calling that God had given him to be the next king of Israel. Are you with me? He understood that his identity was not wrapped in him being the future king of Israel. His identity was seen in his humility and in his obedience to do the smallest, the little tasks, the little silly things that maybe no one is paying attention to. Well, you want me to just like set up cameras on Sunday morning? It's just, you know, don't you know that I got a, a, a degree in social economics? Don't you know that I have like a? I'm a, I'm a computer science doctorate. Whoop dee do! If you can't do the basic things that God says for you to do, I'm sorry, but you've gotten your reward. Are you with me? You've gotten your reward. What are you talking about, David? by your own titles and your own self-sufficient greatness that you aspire to for yourself. You know what David understood? David understood Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, that says that if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. David understood that. Because he became humble and obedient. David understood Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19 that says, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. David understood that. You know what also David understood? David understood that in the little things, if we are faithful in the little things, Luke 16, God will make you faithful over the bigger things. Oh, well, that's just too small for me to do. I mean, you want me to stand by a door and check kids in and out? Yeah, somebody's got to do it. I could go on and on and on with verses that talk about the blessings and the honor that God bestows on us when we understand the very small, insignificant things that God calls us to do. Are you willing this morning to obey doing the menial tasks, the small things for the glory of God, whatever that will be? Now, that could be at home. I mean, I I learned a big lesson this week. (laughs) I'm going to share it. I mean, I, I, you know, we... Lost and I have not been very well, and so I was looking around. I'm like, man, I'm like, this toilet's got to be cleaned, you know. I mean, it's like, Phew. I cleaned these bathrooms, and she's like, since when was that my responsibility? I'm like, right on, right, right on. Oh, oh, he's right. I'm like, you're Jesus. But you know what? The Lord spoke to me through that for this sermon. Because I like, I'm identifying a problem without being part of the solution. You know, we are so good in church at identifying all the problems. You know, I wish that that was this way. I wish that, that was that way. I wish that, you know, this and that and the other. Unless we are willing to be part of the solution, I don't want to hear the problem. That's what Lois told me. She's like, buddy, look to your left. There's a Dobie scrubber. There's a... So you know what I did? I got on my knees and I cleaned that toilet and I cleaned the sinks. And I did what I had to do. I mean, after all, we got two bathrooms, right? One for her, one for me. It's the small things that God wants us to be obedient for. Even if it makes us uncomfortable. Remember that Samuel himself told Saul just a few chapters before. To obey is better than sacrifice. Why did he tell him that? If you go read that story. Saul was fighting the Amalekites. And God gave specific orders, said, I want you to do this, 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 that, and the other. And he did none of that. He let the men do whatever they wanted. He Let them keep the spoils of war when God said no. And then told them to obey is better than sacrifice. God is looking at the heart more than the outward experience. All right, let's go to our next section. In verses 23 to 28. Verses 23 to 28. Let's read those together. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines. And he shouted with usual defiance, and David heard it. I love that. David heard the defiance against God. And when... The Israelites saw the man, they all ran away from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. It will exempt his family, his his father's family from taxes in Israel. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm all for it. Give me back my taxes. Give me back my money. Right? And David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills his Philistines and removes disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they, had, uh, what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done to the man who kills him. The second lesson that I see here is that when you understand your identity you will not allow those who are jealous of you to affect your calling. Look at verse 28. I think I forgot that one. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burnt with anger and at, at him, that's David, and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, you came down here to watch the battle. That's an important verse. I've forgotten to read that one. That's a very important verse. You see, who was Eliab? Who was he in the line? He was the older brother, the oldest brother, the sons of Jesse, right? Now, Eliab, the older brother wanted to crush David's courage and zeal for the Lord by taking him down a notch. Why was he doing that? I personally believe that Eliab was full of jealousy. Do you remember when David, the youngest, the youngest was chosen over the oldest? Do you remember when... God made that selection. And even Samuel said, Eliab, God, it's got to be him. He's old, he's strong, he's tall, he's handsome, he's great. It's got to be him, right, God? No. Not number two, three, four, down the line. It's the youngest who wasn't even there because he wasn't even considered by his father as worthy To be there, friends, at some point or another, you will be passed over for the benefit of somebody else. Look at the person next to you and tell them, ouch. Someone else will be chosen instead of you. It could be that promotion that you thought you were absolutely fitted, and suited for. I mean, hey, you know what? When that promotion comes, it's got to come to me because I'm like, I'm the perfect guy for this job. I mean, I've been doing everything without the pay, so it's only normal that the boss is going to come to me and say, hey, you know what? You've been doing all of this now for the last nine months. Here is the promotion. Here is the money. Thank you so much. You've been faithful for the past nine months. And all of a sudden, just like, it's like a hurdle race. you just like, hurdle right over you. Am I talking to somebody? Yeah, oh, yeah, someone knows what I'm talking about. That's happened to me. Am I talking to somebody this morning? Yeah, it happens. And sometimes it happens all too often. I deserve that promotion. It's mine. I've been doing all of this stuff. You see, jealousy, friends, is a spirit that is hell-bent on hindering any future progress that God wants you to have. It is characterized by anxiety, insecurity. There's resentment. There's suspicion. There's envy. It can arise in situations. This is what the, um, the definition of, uh, of um, jealousy says. It arises in situations when you consider valuable so, sorry, you consider something valuable or important. I'll give you the example. Like Heliab thought that the fact that he should have been chosen over David was important. So he was filled with jealousy. He was filled with envy. He wanted that, not somebody else. The Bible is clear, friends, that jealousy is a twisting and destructive force, a spirit of jealousy. Listen to what James chapter 3 says. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Can you make it any clearer, God? But it's earthly, unspiritual. and are you ready for this? Demonic. It's the de- jealousy is demonic. Envy is demonic. It's the enemy, hell-bent on your destruction. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I have seen churches destroyed because of jealousy, because of envy between this brother and that sister bickering and fighting at each other. I have seen families destroyed for the same purpose. Jealousy between brother and sisters, between dad and son, mother and daughter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Companies, entire companies have been destroyed because two partners would not see out of eye. There was jealousy and there was anger and there was envy. It will destroy. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, it says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I want you to know that... Envy and jealousy will cause sickness in the body. If you are sick over something and you cannot explain what in the world is going on in your body, go to God and ask him, Lord, is there any jealousy? Is there any envy in my heart towards somebody that has been undealt? Guys, this is serious stuff. We let the things that are so important slip by, and then we wonder what in the world is happening with me. I pray, and I never get the healing that I need to get. God, what are you? And God is saying, well, look in your heart. What's all that jealousy, that anger, all that anger, all that stuff inside of you, you got to let it go. You know, Paul in... Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians gave us the love chapter. What does it say? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not what? And or boast. It is not arrogant. That's love. That's the love of God. That's the love of God that is unpolluted by jealousy or envy. God wants us to have pure hearts. So what should our response be then, friends? I believe that rather than standing in jealousy against people that may have gotten that promotion, that may be more blessed than you are, don't give your heart to jealousy, but give your heart to supporting those people. Stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Be a blessing to them. You know why? Because God sees your response and my response. He sees our reaction to these situations, and he is the one that blesses us. Remember, Psalm 75 says that promotion comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord, not from all of your knowledge and abilities, your skill and your talents and all the wonderful things that you bring to the table. Promotion comes from the Lord. From the Lord. And then in Proverbs 18, verse 16, it's a beautiful verse. It says that when we allow God to bring the promotion, right? At that point, your gift will make room for you. All of the great things that God has Endowed you with, poured into you the wisdom, the blessing, the knowledge, the skill, the talent, the ability, all of that will come together. And God will bless you when you turn everything over to Him. Let's look at our third section, verses 29 to 37. It says this Here David replies to his brother, Now, what have I done? said David. Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. I want you to know that that is the very example of Proverbs 18 and 16. That that his gift made room for him. You mean like the king is now paying attention to a teenager? Mm-hmm. As God told him to. So David said to Saul, "Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him." And Saul replied, "You're not able to go and fight against this Philistine, and uh, to go out and get against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth." But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go. And the Lord be with you. In other words, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, you Go. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And I'll stop right there. The third lesson that I see here is that when we understand our identity, when you understand, when I understand my identity, you will step into your calling with boldness. You will step into it with boldness. Now, when David faced Goliath, It was like anywhere between the ages of 16 and 19, most scholars would agree. You say, how do you know that? Because in Numbers chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that men who were allowed to go to war had to be of the age of 20. David was not at war with his brothers. So it's only normal that he was anywhere between 16 and 19. Even as a teenager, friends, David understood his identity. He understood who he was. He boldly shared his resume with with King Saul. I mean, I think that David was a little bold, but perhaps a little cocky too at the same time. His brother was maybe not completely wrong about David. I don't know. I mean... Can you imagine you're up for a promotion? You go up to your boss and say, boss, you know what I'm talking about? Of course. You're going to choose me, right? Saul went up, or David went up to Saul and he said, hey, don't you worry. I got this. I got it. Here's what I did. How many of you have watched the movie, The Revenant? Just a handful of you guys. Unless you have a stomach for it, don't watch it. Because the opening scene is a scene of about, what, 10, 15 minutes of Leonardo DiCaprio, who's the main actor. He's fighting a bear. Okay? I have never seen any scene in any movie out there that is more realistic than that opening scene. Maybe gladiators, which is my favorite number two movie of all times. But I mean, this bear is ripping him apart, throwing him around like a rag doll. Hey, King Saul, when the sheep came to get, when the bear came to get a sheep, I just chased that thing down. I grabbed it by the hair. I ripped his, open, his mouth wide open and i took that sheep right out i'm like who is this kid and oh by the way i went after the lion the king of the forest <laughs> the most powerful being right nope i just ripped his jaw apart and i took that sheep right out of its mouth can you imagine this was david No kidding, he had confidence. But look at verse 37 we read. What did he have confidence in? He says, the Lord who delivered me. He wasn't that strong of a cocky, bold individual to say, I did it all myself. No. You know what? There were superheroes in that day. David would be one of them. But he wasn't a superhero. He was a young man filled with the power of God. David, at a young age, displayed more integrity than Saul did for most of his life, if not all of his life. And even most of us. Remember when David was in a cave being chased by Saul? He had a sword to his throat and he wouldn't let any of his men kill them. Do not touch the Lord's anointed. David had more integrity as a teenager than Saul ever did his entire life. There may have been times when you thought, that you were smart and you pulled through certain situations in your life with your own abilities and your own talents and skills. That's what got you to the next level in your company and wherever you are. But You forgot to take into account the fact that God was carrying you. God was opening the doors for you. God was making it possible for you to get what you got. And you thought it was you. But you know what God was saying? It wasn't you. It wasn't ever you at any time. It was me. Promotion comes from the Lord. I will tell you what we need today. We need more young spiritual gladiators. We need young men and women, teenagers, full of God and full of the Holy Spirit who will enter the arena of life and stand up to the giants of our cultures and say, enough is enough. You will be defeated. You are going down. Don't you insult my God. Enough is enough. I believe we are living in a time when we will see the younger generation rise up with the courage of David. With only a sling in their hand and a stone to kill the enemy. And to fight with courage and with strength. God is looking for David's church. God is looking for David's, for teenagers, ages 16 to 19. I don't know where you're at. We're not afraid of the devil. They're not afraid to rise up to the occasion. And when adult warriors, like in the camp of the Israelites, were running afraid fearful, as soon as this nine-foot giant came out and started defying the name of the Lord, no one said, no way. Even if I have to die, I'm going to fight you to the death. I'm going to stand up for my God because they had no faith that God would deliver them. David, a teenager, he did. He said, I'm going to go whether you like it or not, Eliab, whether you like it or not, Saul, God has called me to get this thing done. God has called me to get the job done. God is calling you young people to get the job done. It's time for the young people to rise up. You know why? Because, you know, young people today, they could care less about the fanfare. They could care less about the 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 perfection, the frills and the thrills and all the other stuff. They care about being genuine, honest, sincere. Be yourself. Throw down the stupid walls of of who you think you are. That you're so beautiful and so good looking and so great at what you do. And be yourself. Be yourself. God is looking for David's. We will not, as a church, leave this young generation behind. That's why we started a youth program recently. And I know it's tough, but I want you to know, parents, if you have taken your kids to baseball, soccer, ballerina, and whatever else on God's green earth you've taken them, you better be taking them to youth on Tuesday night. And there'll be no excuse before God for you. I'm telling you right now, if they can't drive, you better be taking them. You say, man, like you're, you're angry, David. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated at our willingness to align ourselves with God. We do our things the way we want, but we don't let God do what he wants to do. Come on, somebody. I know you're out there. You agree with me. I know this is kind of tough. But well, we better eat it because it's God's word. Can I hear an amen? These are my thoughts, guys. This is directly from the word of God. God used a teenager while the man, the adults were running in fear. God is gonna use teenagers if we align ourselves with God and we say, you know what? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. We need to arise up a generation that will do mighty exploits for the kingdom of God. I have one more section I want to give you real quick in verses 38 to 50. Are you okay with me? Are you still with me? All right. Then Saul dressed David, right? We read that. He put on a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to to use that stuff. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Smart kid. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from his stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, And with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, we're going up to verse 50. Meanwhile, the Philistines, with a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and said, and and saw that he was only a boy, sorry, ruddy and handsome. And he despised him. Why would he despise him? It's a weird thing. Maybe he was better looking than Goliath. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. He looked David over and he saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. He prophesied all of this, guys. He had no idea that was going to happen. Pretty bold. Today, I will give your carcasses of the Philistines army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the, of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to the attack, to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. Bam! The stone sank into his forehead. Woo! And he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling. And a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And killed him. Fourth lesson I want us to see here is that when you understand your identity, you won't fit into someone else's anointing. You're going to be who you are because God has called you to be who you are. You see, what Saul was really doing that day when he tried to put on his armor on David, he tried to make David like himself. He tried to turn David into Saul. His armor and spear represented Saul's identity, ill-fitting and unneeded. Saul was an arrogant man who thought he was the greatest. You know, when he was chosen to be the king in 1 Samuel chapter 10, it says that he was taller than the rest. And yet that day, he was shorter than the rest because there was somebody way bigger than him. And what did he do, Mr. Big Shot, taller than the rest? He cowered in fear. He was afraid. He met his match. A David, son of Jesse, the youngest of the boys, He understood his identity. He understood his calling. David was a giant slayer. He was an anointed young man, not because of an armor, not because of his helmet and sword and all of that stuff, but because of a slingshot and a stone. That day, David stood above Saul and Goliath, taller than nine foot. This young kid, using what God had given him as a skillful man to defeat an army. Friends, what gifts has God put into your hands? What has given you for who you are? Don't try to be somebody else. God told Moses, what do you have in your hands? He said, just a stick. God used that stick to make Moses a deliverer and God used that slingshot that David had in his hand as a WGD, a weapon for giant destruction. What am I saying here? I'm telling you, don't crave someone else's anointing. I'm telling you, don't try to to make yourself look like somebody else. Don't try to fit into somebody else's shoes, armor, or use somebody else's sword. Be who God has made you to be. You are not a Saul. You will never be a Saul. You are not a David either. You're not this David. You're not a Bill. You're not a Robert. You're not a Lois. You're not a Kim. You are who God has made you to be. Be you. As a church, friends, there's temptations and, 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 and pressures to try to become someone else, some other church. So, you know, when we look at someone that we perceive to be successful, and we think, oh, wow, I want to be like them. I, I, you know what? I want to tell you something right now. Hear me out as the band is coming. As a church we will continue to be who God has called us to be and who God has made us to be. I believe that unity requires diversity. Diversity inside this body, different uh, 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 cultures, different skin color, different everything, because you know what? That's how you obtain diversity. When you, how you obtain unity when there is diversity. If we're all the same, we are going to all do the same thing. And that's not what God is interested in. Also, you obtain unity when you have different ages and different age groups. You know what? That's what we believe. We're multi-generational, multi-cultural church. That's who we want to be. That's who we are praying for, that we would be and become even more so increasingly. Because we got a mission and a job to do. And unless we equip ourselves with what God has for us, for who we are, we'll never accomplish anything. At the same time, we can't be another church. I can't be Bethel Church. I can't be... Antioch Church. I can't be Gateway Church. I can't be any other church. We have our own identity of who we are. We better accept who we are. And you know what? Well, I don't like where we are. Well, you know what? Go find yourself another place where you like where you are. Because when you will get there, I can assure you, you will not like something and you will go to the next place and to the next place unless you decide, here's a shovel and here's a pick and I'm going to dig my foundations here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to work for God. I'm going to do what He calls us to do because God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And that's also for us as a church. Jesus, help us. When we choose to stay in our lane, we're going to be way more successful. I have a friend, I want to close with this. I have a friend who uh, was telling me that he likes to go swim. And, um, you know, it says, one day I was swimming, and I wasn't really paying attention where I was swimming. You know, there are lanes, right, in the swimming pool. So he's like swimming, and he's like, without realizing, he crossed over into the next lane and kicked the lady next to him without even realizing it. That's what we do as churches. We don't accept who we are. we cross into somebody else's lane because we think that that's the right thing to do. I got to be more like that. We got to be a church of signs and wonders and miracles. Let's go and be like somebody else. No, we're going to be who God calls us to be. And you know what? That that doesn't mean that we're not going to be a church of signs and wonders and miracles. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be a church with the prophetic flows and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about embracing our identity. Embracing who we are. Over the past couple of weeks, the Lord has been speaking to my heart about wh- where we are as a church and where God is staking us. I can't wait to share it with you. But I tell you something we are not done. We're moving on. We're moving forward. We're advancing. We're taking territory. We have got to grow. We have got to get what God has for each and every one of us. And it doesn't stop right where we are. Church, capital C, will be powerful and effective when we embrace our differences and we accept who we are and we allow God to use us for who we are and not try to be somebody else. There will be no envy or jealousy. There will be collaboration and there will be great kingdom impact when we accept Who God has made us to be. The same for you personally. Stay in your lane. Don't go crossing over and kick somebody in the face because you don't know. You don't know how to swim in the other lane. You got to stay where you are. That's what God has called you to do. I'll tell you one thing. When we do what this man did, this young man did, here's what happens in verse 51, our last and final verse. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword. He drew it from the sheath, which tells me that David, the Goliath, never even got close to taking the sword out of his sheath because he went tumbling down like some tree that's been chopped down. He took that sword and he chopped his head. What he prophesied a few verses before happened that very moment. David did it in the power of God. Not in his own power, in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Notice, in the strength of the Lord, it was God that empowered him. Today, you may be looking at your life. You may be looking and there are giants in your own life. You've been fighting on your own strength. You've been trying to get things done, but you know what? You just can't seem to do it. You've been doing the darnest, the best that you can, but you can't seem to win that battle over that giant in your life. I want you to know today that if you turn your heart to God and you humble yourself and you say, I want to be more like David. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to be a man who will just turn his attention to God and not to my own strength. That God will meet you right where you are. And when you thought that you were going to defeat the enemy with that sling, you know what? I believe that the angel of the Lord went there and said, okay, let me put some speed on that. A little faster. Boom, the stone sank. his head because of the power of God in his life. God will give you the strength that you need that I need to defeat the giants in our lives.